Gemma Levy, because you are now directing The Taming of the Shrew at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, can I assume that, like me, you still find some value and comedy in this problematic 400-year-old play? I love this play. It is one of my favorite Shakespeare's. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 847, Shrew in Cincinnati. Gemma Levy is a director, playwright, founder, and former artistic director of Muse of Fire Theater Company and an associate professor of acting and directing at Washington and Lee University. She's currently directing one of my favorite Shakespeare comedies, The Taming of the Shrew, at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, where I directed Twelfth Night four years ago. So I was thrilled to talk to Gemma about how she navigates this complicated play. consider this a feminist play, which a lot of people freak out about. But I think that the fascinating thing about it is that it has developed a reputation that if you actually look at the text itself, it, in my opinion, does not deserve. I think it is a, it is a romantic comedy. I don't think it is a romantic comedy. It is a romantic comedy. It is written to be a romantic comedy. Um, there is a, the, there is absolutely no indication in Shakespeare's writing that Petruchio and Catherine are not delightfully in love with one another and going to have a very happy marriage. Eventually. Um, event, yeah, well, yes. well, I actually think it starts in the play. <laughs> but, no, no, but, I, I totally yeah. agree, but not on first sight, it doesn't appear to oh, be. Yeah, there's, there's, I don't know, there's a little bit of sort of fun banter there that's sort of Beatrice and Benedict. 100%. But, it's a it's a meet cute. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And it's fascinating to me that nobody denies that that wooing scene is a meet cute. And yet somehow everybody has decided it's a misogynistic play because he's a jerk later. And I'm like, but why would we get a meet cute for somebody who's supposed to be terrible? Right? Like, why would why would Shakespeare do that? I think that for me, the the key to understanding it is understanding the way that Shakespeare wrote women. And he very consistently wrote women to always be the smartest person on the stage. Um, and to me, that's somebody who, whether or not he loves them or understands them or appreciates them, he certainly, that is the work of a playwright who respects women and understands that they're smart. And so for me, putting Kate into this into this world and allowing her to be intelligent and not just intelligent, witty and brilliant and um, and clearly smarter than anybody else on stage, including Petruchio, that to me makes it a feminist play. You can't put that together and say, oh, no, this is misogynist. That just doesn't make sense to me. One of the things I like about the play that I've never satisfied in my own mind how to accomplish is the induction scene at the beginning. Because Shakespeare teaches you how to watch what you're seeing in that play. And I've, I've seen it done with Shakespeare's words. I've seen it done in other ways 
mm-hmm. where there is some sort of dumb show or prologue that lets the audience know what we're in for. How do you handle the induction scene? This is the f- third full production of Shrew that I have directed. And in every single one of them, I have included the induction. I think the induction is necessary to understanding how the play functions. The first two productions that I directed, we used Shakespeare's induction, which is a little tricky because it only sort of half exists, right? Mm -hmm. He wrote this framing device that only really is half of a frame. Um, And so you always, or so I always ended up trying to tack something on at the end of the play that was physical, but without changing any of Shakespeare's language. So there was sort of a button. Um, And this time around, um, Brian Phillips, who is the artistic director um, at Cincy Shakes, where I am directing, asked me to write a contemporary induction that was a complete framing device. Mm. So I actually wrote an induction for this one. And it is an induction that, in fact, um, that that threads through the entirety of the play. We have two characters who are on stage, who are an onstage audience throughout the entirety of the play, who interact with the play throughout and who, and who end the play as well. So in the, in that Shakespearean sense of um, making the audience complicit, you are sort of literally making the audience part of the event of the evening. Yes. And I've also, I think, think this is the first time Cincy Shakes is doing this, but I have also insisted that the lights be on in the audience. Oh, so interesting. We are actually including the audience. It's the, the real live paying audience and the onstage audience. All of them are in the same world, in the same light, and in the same space as the performers. So that everybody in the room is acknowledged as being there and is and has a chance to sort of contribute, hopefully not excessively vocally, but hopefully vocally and um, and that there is a lot of interaction between the the performers and the audience as well. That's lovely. They're not required to sit there passively in the dark. Yeah. That we are desperately hoping they do not do that. <laughs> Um, I, I tell you, I tell you what'll work, what worked in my production of Twelfth Night there, put a bar on stage, just saying. Uh, the bar is there. Just it's the same bar. Just shots. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah. A trend has begun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I love. I, I I so wish I could get down there and see that this. I'm I'm afraid the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast budget does not allow for <laughs> flights or even bus rides to Cincinnati. But um, but I have I, I similarly love the play and have talked about it a lot on 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 the podcast. Um, Shauna Cooper, who I last talked to about mm-hmm. Taming of the Shrew, described it as as kind of the portrait of a marriage. Uh, she's also directed it several times, and mm-hmm. as she works on it, it changes every time. And it it, it does you can see in real time their relationship, Petruchio and Kate's relationship evolve. And it was my wife D Ryan who. pointed out to me that they are literally learning how to play with each other like improvisers on stage in real time and that's how you see their relationship begin to grow and you see it happen yeah it's it's really lovely i mean it really is an entire play about performing about social performance right Mm. um so it is which is why I don't understand when people cut the induction. I mean, I understand why people cut the induction because it's an extraneous bunch of people. It's an extraneous bunch of text and it's weirdly 
half of a frame. But it seems to me that the induction helps an audience understand the genuine performativeness of what is happening on a completely different level so that the entire play is actually a play within a play. So it is a performance. So you're watching actors pretend to be actors, pretend to be characters. And then the characters themselves are performing through the entire play. Um, Whether they are sort of performing socially, like Catherine is, or or failing to perform socially, like Catherine is, um, who, you know, she's insisting that she will be herself, even though that... um, creates a lot of friction with the world that she lives in. And there's Petruchio, who is performing differently publicly versus privately and trying to, I think, convince Catherine that she can do the same. Um, And I do call her Catherine because that is what she prefers to be called. Um, uh, And then there's, you know, Tranio, who is performing as Lucentio. And I think we forget about these other plot lines, but Tranio, who is disguised as Lucentio, so he's performing a role. And Lucentio is disguised as Cambio, so he's performing a role. And then Hortensio is disguised. I mean, the ridiculous number of disguises in this play, there, there is something to be said for those. And there's a reason that they exist. I think we forget, um, I think we focus so much on the Catherine and Petruchio story that we forget that the person who has the character that has the second largest number of lines in this play after Petruchio is not Catherine it's Tranio and I think most people don't know that Tranio's in this play like that people sort of forget that whole plot line but his his social performance you know this is a servant who's playing a master and what does that mean and the fact that he seems like probably a better fit with the suitors than Lucentio actually is. I find that stuff fascinating and and very telling in terms of what is the actual story that this play is presenting. Hi, I'm Ron West. I'm the co-author of The People vs. Friar Lawrence, The Man Who Killed Romeo and Juliet, and you are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We will perform the complete history of comedy abridged five times this April of 2023. On April 1st in Reston, Virginia. April 8th at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey. Then in Pueblo, Basalt, and Lone Tree, Colorado on April 19th, 21st, and 22nd of 2023. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Gemma Levy, whose production of The Taming of the Shrew opens this week at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company and runs through March 25th. It is a commedia piece, right? We all know that you can see the commedia characters so, so clearly in this one, as is true of many of Shakespeare's earliest plays, right? A lot of them are either based, you know, based in commedia characters, based on sort of comic tropes from, you know, look at comedy of errors, right? But there, there is, this it is a clown show. The whole show is a clown show. Um, and I, and that also, I think, helps us understand the performativeness of it, because 
when you went to when you go to see a clown show, you know very clearly that you are watching a performance. There's no there's no you know film realism where you are convinced that those people are real people and that you're watching something unfold in real time in front of you. It's it's a show. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's also important to recognize. Well, and keeping the lights up emphasizes that, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, for, when there's a show, there must be an audience. So let's mm -hmm. include them. Yes. Yes. Um, I, you know, I know, you know, when, when one directs Winter's Tale, the first question is, well, how do you solve the bear? And yeah. I, and I don't want to reduce the taming of the shrew <laughs> to this final, to that final speech. Uh-huh. But I will ask anyway, <laughs> how do you see that final, Catherine's final speech? So I think that there are two keys to that final speech. And I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to ruin anything by telling them to you. I mean, about my production. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not no, no spoilers. I, yeah. Um, I think the two keys to that speech are, um, first of all, you have to remember who Catherine is performing for in that moment. She is not alone on stage soliloquizing to an audience. Yeah. This is not a moment of truth and honesty and vulnerability. This is, in fact, a performance for an onstage audience and for her, her parent in my production. She has a mother instead of a father. Um, but for her parent, for um, her new spouse, and for her sister and widow who are both newlyweds as well and their respective spouses. And that makes a huge difference in what she is trying to accomplish with that speech. Mm -hmm. um, so if you try to parse which pieces of it are aimed at which person or people on stage, I think that that helps you understand that speech a lot better. I also think it is really important to remember that prior to that scene, we have a moment between Catherine and Petruchio in which she starts to play his weird game where they sort of um, hyperbolize things. Right. Lack of a better word. Um, and she starts to play that game and starts to really enjoy that game and discovers that she's really good at it and that she's actually better than Petruchio at it and that Petruchio and she both seem to get off on it when she does it better than he does. And to me, this speech is an, a, another opportunity to play the same game because Petruchio basically says, hey, want to do that thing again? Here's a chance to do it in front of a lot of people. Go. Um, and basically gives her uh, free reign and she takes it and runs with it. And I think that's how you solve that speech. So you think the two, these two characters are, are well met, well matched. Yeah. Yeah. They both are surviving in a world that's on, uh, uh, they don't feel comfortable in and they both give as good as they get. Yes. I think she gives better than he does, but yes. <laughs> in fact, yes. Yeah. Well, I will absolutely defend, um, to, uh, the value of the taming of the shrew. I'm not sure I can still defend any value in the Merchant of Venice. What say you? Haha. -ha. Um, I say that I have directed that one once, and maybe directing that one again in the future, and that is all I can say about that. But, um, I think it is 
a much more difficult play to do. I don't know that you shouldn't, I don't know that one should not do it. Um, but I do know that it is harder, but I will say this. I will say two things. First of all, um, I am Jewish and that I think may give me, I don't, I think that that puts me at both an advantage and a disadvantage in terms of directing that play. Um, and, and certainly biases me in, in certain ways. Um, I will say that like Kate, and I realize this is a slightly strange comparison, but like Kate, I think that Shylock is very specifically written to be human and to be completely human in a way that is often overlooked when people um, object to merchant or shrew. Um, that there's this assumption with with Catherine, there's an assumption that she is being abused and cannot take care of herself um, and therefore is weak, which I find to be just not just flat out wrong. Um, <laughs> um, and with Shylock, I think that there is an assumption about the writing of his character. Well, he's he's written as an evil character and therefore the play itself is anti-Semitic. And I say, well, yeah, I mean, he does some really awful things in uh, in one of the scenes that we see him in. But he also says some really beautiful things about what it is to be human and what it is to be othered as human. And so maybe we need to look more closely at what the actual intention was um, in writing that character that way. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard one, but I don't know that it's unsalvageable, I guess. Well, I'm not Jewish, but I am a comedian, and that's my objection to Merchant of Venice. It's never, ever, ever as funny as it needs to be. So I hope yours is. <laughs> yes. It is another one where everybody goes, wait, you want to do a clown show of that? And I'm like, yes, that's <laughs> actually what it is, though. I mean, admittedly, maybe I just want to do a clown show of everything. But, but I mean, I didn't do a clown show of Little Women, just to be clear. And I don't think, you know, Henry V is a clown show although it might be fun as one. But I do think that oftentimes the solution to the comedies or to the complicated comedies is to lean into the comedy. <laughs> and this is the reason why we are friends. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Gemma Levy's production of The Taming of the Shrew opens this week at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company and runs through March 25th, 2023. Go to cincyshakes.com for more information. Then send us the life that late you led via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareance.com. Thanks, as always, to Ass Made to Bear Matthew Croak, 
Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Corey Cook. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Ron West, whose new Hollywood framing of the Comedy of Errors begins performances at Chicago Shakespeare Theater next week. Go to chicagoshakes.com for more information. And as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get all the boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 847-2541sts of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Um, and if anybody wants to hire me to do a clown job version of Titus Andronicus, I am here oh, for that's, it. It almost already is. Exactly. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.